0: Uh, open your Bibles to John chapter 18. Uh, Like I said last week, we took a break from the book of John from our series called The Word, and uh, we talked about baptism, that identification and glorification piece, uh, those elements that are such an important part of baptism, and uh, today we're back in the book of John, and this is John's recording of the gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus. So that those who would read these words, that like he says that in, in John, uh, I believe it's John chapter 20, that these things have been written, that they've been recorded, that you might believe. And that by believing that you would have life in his name. That he did other things, but the things that John recorded were so that we would believe and have life in his name. And so over the last couple of weeks, been looking at the high priestly prayer. I preached a message, Josh preached a message, Dan preached a message coming out of that high priestly prayer. About the glorification of Christ, and so we're moving on from that. Moving on from the Last Supper, right? Those words that he preached, that prayer at the end there—that was all coming out of the Last Passover supper together. And today, we're finding us our, ourselves in the Garden of Gethsemane. And most of us were pretty familiar with the garden. A lot of times uh, we think of the garden, we think of Jesus going to pray, he's asking his disciples to come, and then he has some of them wait back, and then he has his three closest friends, his closest, Peter, James, and John, to go a little bit further with him, and then he makes them stop, and he says, watch and pray. What happened? We know the story. They fell asleep. Anybody else? You ever been trying to pray, sitting on the couch, sitting, you know, sitting in your favorite chair, you got your Bible there, and you got the head bob thing going on, Right? They couldn't tarry one hour. Their eyes were heavy. That's where we get that awesome line, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Three times Jesus found them sleeping. You might remember the story of the garden where Jesus' beautiful words, he says, Father, Matthew 26, 39, it says, Father, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Right? He knows he's going to the cross. If there's any other way, Father, if there's any other way, please let this cup pass. But, but nevertheless, not my will, not my wants, God, your will be done. What's interesting about the book of John is that he doesn't record any of this. He doesn't record the sleepy disciples. He doesn't record the words, my soul is sorrowful even to death He doesn't record the words, not my will, but yours be done. He actually doesn't even name the garden as the Garden of Gethsemane. He goes right on to Judas, the betrayal, and the arrest. And so let's read our text together here today. John chapter 18, starting in verse 1. It says this, When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, Jesus said to him, said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. He answered, I told you that I am he. If so, if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the words that he had spoken, of those whom you have given me have not lost one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who would advise the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Let's stop right there. Let's pray before we continue on. Again, Father, I pray for humble hearts before your word. I pray, God, that these lives would come in alignment. God, that it wouldn't just be encouragement today, that it wouldn't just be motivation today, but, God, it would be change. God, that by the power of your Spirit, You'd bring new life to our souls. God, that you'd open our eyes to see the beauty of you. Like John's hope for us, that we would believe, that we would behold you, that we'd believe, and that because of our believing, we would have life eternal in you. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for these words. Change us again today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus goes to a familiar place. It's a place where he met his disciples often. It's probably a private garden. A lot of scholars think it was probably a private garden owned by possibly a wealthy friend. It was probably a walled garden or maybe had a gate around it, fenced in. It's a place that Jesus went often, probably to retreat and to pray. It's a place that he would go to to get away from the crowds and to commune with his father. Do you have that place in your life? You have that place, maybe it's in your home, maybe you've got that certain chair, that that's your praying chair, that's the place you go. In, in our house growing up, we had a chair. It was, thinking back, it was an ugly chair. Like, you know, it was the 80s, so like everything was kind of ugly in the 80s. But it's this blue rocker recliner, and it was in our, in our house, in our small little, uh, humble little house there down in, in Caledonia, and every day that was the spot where i would find my mom early in the morning in her pajamas knelt down at the ugly blue chair that was that was her place that was her garden maybe you've got a spot maybe it is a garden maybe it's in your yard maybe it's in your garden at home maybe it's in your kayak i know there's a lot of nature folks in this place you know like you like to get out into nature experience god in his majesty in his beauty to get away from it all get away from the crowds and to commune with your heavenly Father. Well, this garden was that. It was a familiar place. And because it was a familiar place that Jesus had been with his disciples, Judas knew where to find him. Judas knew that he could find Jesus there. And Jesus wasn't hiding because Jesus knew that it was time. It was time for the cross. It was time for these events to start to unfold. So Judas comes with a band of soldiers at least that's what it says in the ESV. These were Roman soldiers, and then it says that there were some, some officers of the chief priests and the Pharisees. So there was a band of soldiers, and if you look into the Greek, if you want to geek out over the original language a little bit, this band of soldiers, this procurement of soldiers was possibly, probably in the hundreds Okay, so think about the depictions. Think about about the the dramas that you've seen of this moment where Judas comes to the garden. Usually it's like six guys and some torches, right? Maybe some swords, like half dozen guys. Like they're coming and they're like, we're here for Jesus kind of thing. But like the Greek, the original language would, would lead us to think that this was possibly between 200 and up to a 1,000, depending if we're talking about horsemen accompanying what this band of soldiers could mean. So you have this band, you have this cohort of soldiers. These are Roman soldiers, but then you also have these officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees. So these are some of like the temple guards. So you've got the Romans, and you've got the Jews, all coming to seek Jesus with lanterns, torches, and weapons. So this is the scene. There's a sinless man in a garden, face-to-face with Satan's representative. Does it sound familiar? Some of this in here, I I've I, I borrowed from Pastor David Gutzik. He's got a great study on the book of John. But think about that. A sinless man in a garden face-to-face with Satan's representative, right? It says that Satan entered Judas. Jesus said, go do what you're about to do. Sounds familiar. Because there was another sinless man in a garden, face-to-face with Satan's representative. His name was Adam. That man, unfortunately, was not like Jesus. Should have stepped in when his wife was being deceived. But instead of stepping in, he was passive. Instead of remembering and fighting for the words of God, instead of holding fast to the word of God, he allows the word of God to be twisted and undermined. Allows sin to be ushered into the world. He partakes of it too, and everything breaks because of a sinless man in a garden, face to face, with Satan's representative. Everything breaks. He didn't protect his wife. He didn't care for his wife. He didn't lead his wife. He was soft on the word of God and he falls into into sin and his response is what? Shame and hiding. Heard one pastor say that you got to be tough and tender as a man you got to be tough and tender as a man. you got to be tough for your wife and tender with your wife. you got to be tough on your sin and tender in your relationships. And there's far too many men who get it backwards. They're soft with sin. They're soft and tender with sin. And they're tough with their wife. But biblical manhood is beautiful. That you would be tough on sin, tender in your relationships, tough and, and, and fight for the words of God and tender in your relationships. That's why marriage is so hard sometimes. Because we get this backwards all the time. we got husbands acting like Adam instead of Jesus. Wives acting like the bride of Adam and not the bride of Christ. And so one sinless man in a garden, face to face with Satan's representative, ends up breaking everything and then he hides. But praise be to God, there's another sinless man who shows up. We see him now in a garden, face to face with Satan's representative and a small army. And this time, there's no hiding. Jesus steps forward. He says, Who do you seek? who is it that you're looking for? He steps forward. his, His bride, his disciples are standing back and he steps forward. He says, if it's me that you're looking for, let these guys go. Protecting them, standing up for them, he steps forward and says, who is it you're looking for? So Jesus goes to the garden, familiar place to Judas, familiar place to his disciples, a place where he could be found because he knew that it was time Instead of sending his disciples out to find out what's going on, he's the one who steps forward and he says, I am he. It is time. What happened in the garden thousands of years ago is about to be undone. This time, this sinless man in this garden is going to step up, defend his bride, redeem his bride, us, his church, from the curse of sin from the first garden. This is the work that he's come to do and now is the time. What a beautiful thing. What a beautiful thing. So let's read our text again, verse 3. It says So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. And then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, he came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. If so, if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you have given me, I have not lost one. So verse 10 says, Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cut off his right ear. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? What's interesting about this story and about this part of the story, because it seems like the main actors, right, the main, uh, the major players in this story, they had a pretty good estimation of the power of Jesus, but they also had a pretty good misunderstanding of the work of Jesus. Like if you think about it, Peter, right, he just lops off a guy's ear. And like a lot of times I've heard this preached, like Peter's that, he's, that, uh, he's the wild card, right? He's the guy, he's a little hot-tempered, he's quick-tempered, he speaks when he should be listening. I heard one pastor say, right, I think I shared this with you a couple, uh, a couple months ago, Peter usually gets it right but the second time, right? He gets it right, but it's usually the second time he speaks pretty quickly and he has to like back up a little bit. He had the audacity once to try to rebuke Jesus, right? In Matthew, I think it's Matthew 16 where Jesus is like, the time is coming. He's predicting his death, right? Where well, I'm going to be uh, suffer many things at the hand of the Jews. Peter says like, this shall never happen to you, and then Jesus is like, get behind me, Satan, right? You got your mind set on the things of the world? You got your mind set on, not on the things of God, but on the things of man? You're a hindrance to me, he says to Peter. But is it because Peter is a, uh, a quick-tempered, out-of-control man that he pulls out his sword and lops off a guy's ear? Is that really the reason? Or maybe it's because Peter knew the power of Christ, Maybe he knew the power of Christ. You guys ever seen a fight about to break out? Like I'm thinking, I'm thinking about times that, yeah, I love baseball. I love going to Miller Park, uh, American Family Field. What is it called now? Like and you go and everyone's tailgating, it's a great time. Playing bags, throwing the ball around, whatever it is. But inevitably, people start drinking and fights break out. You ever walk past one of those awkward fights where it's like, all right, kids, let's go, come on. What's funny to me is oftentimes there's a little guy out front, right? There's a little guy out front who's got the big guy behind him, right? And it's funny how that little guy is pretty bold when he knows that the big guy is behind him, right? he's always the guy who's out front starting stuff, really, and you're looking at him like, I don't know if you can back that up, man, but he's got the big guy waiting behind him. I kind of wonder if that's Peter sometimes, Right? He understands the power of Jesus. If he under, under like he has just walked with Jesus for three years. He knows the but like, so maybe he is quick-tempered. Totally could be. He's just quick-tempered, out of control. These guys come up, he's like, I'm gonna defend you, Jesus. And the lob's off a guy's here. Could also mean possibly that he understands that me, eleven other dudes, and Jesus, because we got Jesus. Hundreds of soldiers, no big deal. Still no big deal. Didn't matter how many soldiers. Didn't matter if Satan was controlling Judas. These fishermen types and Jesus was enough. Hundreds of Roman soldiers and temple guards were still no problem. They were still at pretty good odds. That with Jesus no matter what the odds there is victory do you understand that it doesn't matter what the odds with Jesus there's victory in your life today i don't whatever the situation is whatever you think the odds are put it in the hands of Jesus and see what he can do understand his power and his love for you. It's kind of like what we came out of out of worship today praying, like put your life into his hands. Put your troubles into his hands. Put it all into his hands knowing that he is all powerful. No matter how grave the situation, no matter how bleak all things are possible in the hands of Christ. He is bigger He is stronger than all the schemes of Satan to kill, steal, and destroy. Christ is greater. So maybe he's a little quick tempered. Maybe he's a little out of control. Maybe he just somewhat misguidedly believes that Christ is all powerful. But then there's also Judas and the Jews, right? They're the ones who show up with an army. The ruling Jews had an estimation of Jesus' power. They had a misunderstanding of what Jesus came to do, but it's in a little different light. They've seen his influence. They saw the signs that he could do. They saw his wonders that he was performing in front of the people. More and more people were following him, and it was creating a stir and a disturbance. The ruling Jews, they they just couldn't handle it anymore. They're occupied by Rome. They know that if this Jesus character, if he keeps gaining uh, momentum, it's going to cause great harm for us. We're occupied by Rome. They're lording themselves over us. If this new king, this Jesus character rises up and we Jews don't take care of it, Rome is going to step in and not just squash him, but squash all of us. They could see Jesus' power, misunderstood his work, so they got a band of soldiers to help out. Verse 12 again. So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First, they led him to Annas, for he was the father in law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had uh, advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Remember, that, that's a little callback there to John chapter 11. First time we see Caiaphas in the book of John. One man should die, he says, so that we don't all die. Jesus is going to get us all killed. If he keeps it up, the Romans are going to make it worse for us. We're going to lose our positions and we're going to lose our nation. It is better that one man die for the people instead of all of us dying. He's speaking very pragmatically, but in John chapter 11, it actually says that he's speaking prophetically. He doesn't realize exactly what he's saying. He's thinking, okay, let's just get, it's better that we kill this guy so we don't all get killed at the hands of the Romans. He didn't know. He didn't completely understand it, but he beautifully articulated the work of Jesus. That Jesus was going to die so the people would be free. Something I ran across this week a beautiful bit of context uh, from William Barclay in his commentary on the book of John, and it's a beautiful contextual detail that I it, it brought all of this together for me this week. So, Jesus and his disciples they just finished what the last supper, right? They're in the upper room, they're in, they're in the they're, they're, they're sharing that last supper. Do you remember what that, what that meal was? It was Passover, right. They just shared their last Passover meal together. Exodus chapter 12, that's where it all comes from, right? The spotless lamb sacrifice, blood on the doorposts who covered them in the blood. The angel of death then would pass over them. Death would pass over the people of Israel. So they just got finished celebrating, remembering, partaking of the Passover meal after Jesus then. We, we just went through five chapters of his discourse From this meal and all of his teaching, it was five chapters worth that Jesus, on his last night with his disciples, he wanted them to know those beautiful words that we just went through. Let's read verse 1, though. Moving on from that meal, moving on from the Passover, it says this, When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the Brook Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Okay, that just seems like just a little bit of geographical detail, a little geographical marker, but this, this beautiful contextual detail that I, that I came across this week from, from Barclay was just amazing. Okay, so they crossed the brook Kidron. And this is from uh, William Barclay. It says, all the Passover lambs were killed in the temple. They just celebrated Passover. And the blood of the lambs was poured on the altar as an offering to God, I've said this before. Like I couldn't imagine what the what the temple was like during this time. The sounds, the smells, the like. It's a lot of bloodshed. On one occasion, it says the number of lambs slain for the Passover was immense. On one occasion, thirty years later than the time of Jesus, a census was taking, and the number was two hundred and fifty-six thousand lambs slain. For Passover. It's a lot of bloodshed. We may imagine what the temple courts were like when the blood of all these lambs was dashed on the altar. From the altar, there was a channel down to the brook Kidron. And through that channel, the blood of the Passover lambs drained away. When Jesus crossed the brook Kidron, it would still be red with the blood of the lambs which had been sacrificed. And so as he did so, the thought of his own sacrifice would surely be vivid in his mind. You see, Peter, the Jews, and even Judas, they knew that Jesus had power. That in Jesus, there is power, but they didn't understand his work and what he had come to do. That in Jesus there is power, but the real power is in his blood. A power so great that it overcomes death, and nothing beats death. Death always wins, except in the blood of Jesus. This sinless man in this garden, face to face with the agent of Satan, is about to shed his blood, release his power that covers sin, and undoes the curse from the first sinless man in the first garden who fell to the schemes of Satan and ushered in death. It's on this night that he's in this garden. They just crossed the brook Kedron the blood of all of those lambs would have poured into. And Jesus Christ, the spotless lamb, who takes away the sins of the world, he's about to go to the cross, and that power in his blood is going to flow, wiping away the curse of death wiping away the curse of sin, that Jesus is going to redeem his bride and it's going to be at the cost of his own life. There was power in the blood of Jesus to cleanse you, to wash you, to perfect you, and to make you righteous, to cover you and make you his own. There was power in the blood of Jesus. Have you beheld him? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, John the Baptist said. Have you beheld him? Have you believed on him? Have you put your faith in him? Because there is power in the blood of Jesus to redeem you, to wash it all away. This morning as we conclude, Have you believed on him? Have you put your faith in Christ? If not, today's your day. to believe on him, to behold him and to allow his blood to atone and it's been once and for all. Once and for all, it is complete and full and sufficient his blood covers cleanses us and washes us clean. Have you believed on him? Have you put your faith in him today? Maybe today's your day to believe and to be baptized today. As we wrap up this service, and as the Holy Spirit stirs you in, I would implore you to respond. We're not going to have a a long, drawn-out end time here in this service, but we're going to sing a song together. We're going to respond to the Holy Spirit. If today you're placing your faith in Christ, come and see me. Come and see me. Come talk to me. I'd love to pray with you. Today you've decided to follow Jesus, to place your faith, to place your trust, to place your life into his hands. Come and talk to me. Let me pray with you. And I'll praise God that you belong to him. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your blood that was poured out. We thank you, God, that you've undone the curse of sin. God, that you've undone the curse of death, that there was power in you and there was power in your blood. So, God, for those in this room, maybe, maybe church has just been religion, Maybe it's just been something that they've done, but today, God, they feel your Holy Spirit calling them and drawing them to you, into relationship with you. God, I pray that your Spirit would speak to their hearts. God, that they would place their faith in you. And I praise, God, that you are faithful to cover them your blood will wash them, make them whiter than snow, cleanse them and purify them from all unrighteousness. That when they stand before a holy God, that they will stand in the righteousness of Christ because of your blood. I pray for salvation today. pray for salvation today in our lives. That we would hold fast to you. We wouldn't Try to do it in our own merits and our own strength, but we would understand that it has been done in Christ Jesus, the Lamb of God, takes away the sins of the world. We thank you. We praise you. Yes, is in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and let's sing together.